welcome to the Serviced Accommodation Property Podcast. This podcast by Kevin Paneskis, also known as the Property Soldier, covers all aspects of serviced accommodation and how to make it a profitable and sustainable business. Kevin started investing in property in 1991 whilst serving in the British Army and now owns a multi-million pound property portfolio and serviced accommodation business and is a best-selling author. And now your host, Kevin Paneskis. Hey, Kevin, Property Soldier here. Okay, so I'm doing this as a live out on my social media channels, but also recording it as a podcast episode on my Service Combination Property Podcast. And so I won't be taking any questions during this live, but if anyone's got any questions or comments, then type them into the uh, comments of this live. Okay, so the... Um, title of this particular episode is the company structures and tax implications for serviced accommodation. There's an awful lot of confusion about this stuff. And so I just thought I would share some light on it or at least give you my version and the way that we recommend um, that you operate and potentially own a serviced accommodation property with the tax implications in mind. So how you operate a service accommodation business, I recommend that you operate using a limited company. So open a a brand new limited company uh, off the shelf if you like. Don't uh, Best probably not to try and um, rehash an existing limited company. If if you're starting out in service accommodation or you want a nice clean slate, then just, just a brand new limited company and you use that to operate your service combination business so yes you can operate it in your own name or as a sole trader but i recommend using a limited company Uh, it's a lot easier for tax purposes the audit trail all of those things also you would have uh, public liability insurance and uh, professional indemnity insurance potentially and so somebody slips up in the shower, then uh, they would claim off your um, insurance, wouldn't they, your public liability insurance. And um, it's your your contract with your guests. It all goes through your limited company, your contract with Booking.com, Airbnb, your cleaners, your laundry. Everything just goes through your operating company. So it's an awful lot cleaner and easier to operate a service combination business in my opinion, um, using a limited company. But I'm sure if you ask any experienced accountant on this, then they will uh, give you that advice as well. So that is how you should operate a service accommodation business. Now, owning property, how should you do that? Now, an awful lot of people default now to um, owning in limited companies and buying in limited companies. And that is probably the best solution for people who are doing buy-to-let and HMO, but not necessarily serviced accommodation. So I'll explain why moving forward. So the different owning entities could be uh, as a sole trader in your own name, or it could be in a partnership or in a limited liability partnership or in a limited company. So you can buy in any of those different scenarios. Now the thing to remember, or you can, you might already exist, you might already own property in those different owning entities, or you might decide to go out and purchase in those different owning entities. The thing to remember then is that property owned as a sole trader or a partnership or in an LLP, a limited liability partnership, 
you will pay personal income tax on the income from those properties. So you will pay tax at your personal income tax rate. So whatever that may be, currently 20%, uh, 40%, 45%. And uh, property owned in a limited company will pay corporation tax, currently 19%. Uh, I think the government have uh, said that come 2023, they're putting that up to 25%, haven't they, for profit of £250,000 um, plus, you will go up to 25%. Uh, you've got to be earning a lot of money to go up to that level, right? So not such a big drama. But yes, it's it's just worth bearing in mind the the way you will pay tax depending on how you own the properties. But bear with me on this because please don't just default to owning in a limited company because you think, well, I'm a higher rate taxpayer, so I'll own in a limited company, um, pay corporation tax. Um, because the thing is, to get money out of a limited company, you've got to pay your dividend tax and personal income tax rate to get money out of that limited company as well. So it isn't always best. The reason why people default to doing it with um, buy to let and HMO buying a limited company is so that they can still offset their mortgage interest rate or their interest rate because of mortgage interest rate relief being removed for buy to let and HMO for properties owned in their own name. So properties owned in a limited company, you can still offset the mortgage interest. And that's why people default to that now for buy to let and HMO. But hold that thought because Section 24, which is the removal of the mortgage interest rate relief, does not apply to serviced accommodation. So bear with me on that because that might change the, um, the outlook. That might change the landscape, mightn't it? So before I come to that, uh, and I'm going to talk about capital allowances and um, Section 24, I just want to talk about VAT, so the, the different VAT schemes that are applicable. So you've got uh, VAT. So let's talk about VAT. You've got VAT is due on service combination income, unlike rent. So you will you are VATable. There's different schemes for different circumstances. You've got the flat, flat rate scheme and you've got the standard rate scheme. And you've also got the TOM scheme. So you've got three different schemes here that could be implemented, could be used for serviced accommodation income. So TOMS, that stands for the Tour Operators Margin Scheme. So I'll talk about these different ones um, in turn. But ultimately, if you go on the uh, .gov.uk uh, website, you know, .gov.uk forward slash VAT hyphen registration hyphen thresholds, you will get to learn more about this or read up more on this stuff. Just go onto the government's website. So let's talk about the flat rate scheme first then. So you might be able to go onto the flat rate scheme instead of the uh, standard rate. So standard rate currently at 20% flat rate. So what is that? So it's a reduced percentage of turnover. Um, so when you are on a reduced amount of turnover, then it might be applicable for you to go onto the flat rate scheme. It's 10.5, uh, but 1% um, uh less for your first year. So 9.5 first year, then 10.5 uh, going forward. And you would pay more if you were a limited cost business. So it, the flat rate scheme, if you were a limited cost business, could be 16.5%. However, 
as a service combination business, you're unlikely to be classed as a limited cost because you are going to have costs such as your utilities and your cleaning and your laundry. Um, and those costs will, will allow you to uh, qualify as a normal flat rate business. And you can reclaim the VAT on um, goods up to four years and services up to six months prior to your registration. So you can reclaim some of the VAT that you have paid out. Okay, so that is the flat rate scheme. And ultimately, if you were going to go past the VAT threshold of 85,000, but um, not go past 130,000, um, then it would be applicable for you to go on to the, sorry, 150,000, it would be applicable for you to go on to the uh, flat rate scheme during that uh, year. So you could be paying a lot less VAT if you decide to go onto the flat rate scheme because you're only just getting over the, the VAT threshold as opposed to smashing through it. Um, if you're going to be over 230,000, that would be uh, the, the standard rate. So I'll talk about standard next. So standard VAT, it's a standard percentage, currently 20% of turnover, but you can reclaim the VAT paid out. So you can reclaim all of the VAT that you have paid out. Um, VAT is only due on the first 28 days of your accommodation of a single booking, but on services throughout. So when you're getting bookings of longer than 28 days, you actually only need to pay um, the VAT on the first 28 days, the full VAT on the first 28 days of those bookings. And afterwards, it works out at about 4% um, VAT that you need to pay on uh, the money that you've got coming in after that first 28 days. And you can reclaim VAT on goods up to four years and services up to six months prior to registration as well. So again, you can be reclaiming your VAT that you paid out. So like I say, if you are going to you know, significantly break through the VAT threshold, then it's probably best just to go straight onto standard rate flat VAT. If you are only just going to, to creep over, if you like, um, then um, you know, between 85 and 150, then the flat rate scheme might be for you. But turnover of uh, 230 uh, plus, just go straight on to the um, standard rate of VAT. Okay, so let's talk about the tour operator's margin scheme now then, because this is the really exciting one. Now, this only applies, you can go onto the tour operator's margin scheme, but it only applies to rent to serviced accommodation. So renting a property and using it as serviced accommodation. So I'll explain, I'll give you the uh, the sort of more technical description and then I'll just uh, break it down a little bit. So for a Tom scheme, only account for VAT on the margin between the amounts you receive from your customers and the amount you pay your suppliers. You must rent or lease the property and not be responsible for maintenance of the fabric of the building. And you must contract directly with the guests not as an agent, so the contract, i.e. the terms and conditions, must be between your rent-to-SA company and the guests. So what does that mean? In simple terms, in simple description, if you are just renting a property, let's say you rent an apartment in a block and you pay the uh, fixed-rate rent and um, that, that is it, and you are paying your normal utility bills, you're paying the gas and the electric, et cetera, et cetera. 
and you've listed the property on booking.com Airbnb and your guests sign your terms and conditions of your operating company and that is it. So you are not responsible for the fabric of the building. You're not responsible for the, for the, the, the roof on the building. The freeholder is, is responsible for the fabric of the building, the roof and everything. You are just responsible for the flat or the house potentially that you are renting just as a fixed rent to serviced accommodation deal. Under that scenario, you can go onto the tour operator's margin scheme. And what that means is big handfuls now, effectively it's only your profit that will contribute towards the VAT threshold. So it's only when your profit goes past 85,000 you will then become vatable. So that's really, really significant because an awful lot of people that don't know about the TOM scheme, they just start paying standard rate VAT as soon as their turnover from their service accommodation uh, rent to SA goes past 85,000. So let's say they've got three or four rent to SAs and their turnover goes past 85,000, then they start paying 20% VAT. They didn't need to. You don't need to. Because if you are only um, adding up your margin or your profit, let's say, then you wouldn't have got anywhere near 85,000. You could have had doubled, maybe even trebled the amount of rent to SAs that you have before you become vatable. So there's a lot of people, I call them untrained people out there, who are paying far too much tax because they didn't learn this stuff. So hopefully that is useful for everybody. You can go onto the tour operator's margin scheme. Um, for that, um, because effectively, your it's only your margin that contributes towards the vatable income. So, really, really important to remember that. So, let's talk about VAT thresholds then. VAT thresholds. Um, your operating entity has its own VAT threshold. So, you could have a operating entity that does rent to SA, and that has got its own VAT threshold. You could have an operating entity that is just set up to do serviced accommodation management where you are just charging, you take the, the properties, so it's not a rent to SA, but you're taking the properties, fully furnished, good to go, and literally just plugging those into your systems, the OTAs, uh, you know, your channel manager, your own website, et cetera, and you are just charging the owners a percentage of revenue as your fee. So that's potentially 20% of revenue you would charge as your fee. So that would be service combination management. Well, that different entity, that different um, operating entity can have its own VAT threshold. So you can have your rent to SA company, it's got its VAT threshold of 85 grand. You've got your operating management company, its own VAT threshold of 85 grand. You can have properties owned in your own name. Guess what? You've got your own VAT threshold from that income that is in your own name. You can have properties that are owned um, in a partnership, own VAT threshold. Properties owned in an LLP, a limited liability partnership, got its own VAT threshold. And properties owned in a limited company got their own VAT threshold. So what you can't do is the same, say, two people go and open up a limited company, put buy three properties in that limited company and then decide, okay, we're getting close to the VAT threshold. Let's open up a brand new one. And um, the same two partners, if you like, the same two uh, shareholders and directors, um, you can't do that again uh, just to avoid VAT. 
uh, that would be artificial separation. Uh, you mustn't do that. Um, but if there's genuinely different owning entities, so for instance, you know, person A, person B buy properties, that person A and person B have got their own VAT threshold, but then person B decides to open up a limited company with person C and they buy property together in a limited company. Well, that is a totally separate owning entity scenario. So that company has got his own VAT threshold as well. But what I've just effectively highlighted there is that you can legitimately uh, not become VATable on set different operating and owning entities. Whereas people that aren't getting educated on this stuff, just lump everything all in the same place, smash through the VAT threshold, and they end up paying a lot more tax than they need to just by legitimately separating their affairs properly and having the right company structures in place. So that's you know how I uh, suggest people own and operate property. It depends. You take advice from your accountant. What is your current scenario? I suggest you always get advice from an accountant that has um, service accommodation clients um, on their books and um, the vast majority of accountants don't actually understand this stuff properly so take some advice on which accountant would be best to use um, but there you go so take advice from your accountant because your current circumstances might dictate a certain direction of travel when it comes to moving forward from where you currently are but if you're starting out from fresh like I say, get your operating entity set, set up in a limited company and how you choose to buy depends. You might still choose to buy in a limited company, for instance, because that might be the lender who is going to give you your service combination mortgage only wishes to lend to a limited company. Well, then so be it. You buy in, your, buy in a limited company. It, you might be um, buying in a limited company because uh, you're putting in the sweat equity, but but you're... JV partner is putting in the money and they want the security of it being owned in a limited company or whatever it, the scenario might be, um, that might dictate how you do it. But there's no right or wrong on this. Remember, don't let the tail wag the dog. You do not have to buy in a uh, limited company for service accommodation in order to avoid Section 24 because so, uh, Section 24 does not affect service accommodation. So your income from service accommodation, that is trading income, it sits on a different page of your tax return. It is not classed as investment income as buy-to-let and HMO income is. So let's talk more about Section 24 then. Um, the government removing the mortgage interest rate relief. And so just to, to give you an example... Um, somebody's got a, a property, £1,000 rent coming in, but they're highly leveraged and they've got an interest-only mortgage, which is costing £750 per month, let's say. Well, it used to be the case that the £750 could be deducted from the £1,000 worth of rent, leaving big handfuls here, you know, £250 per month, and you would ultimately just pay tax on the 250 Whereas now that you cannot offset that mortgage interest, and so therefore the whole £1,000 is classed as income, and that one that whole £1,000 goes and is added to your other income. And what that is creating is a situation where about 600,000, or it has created a situation where about 600,000 buy-to-let and HMO landlords who own properties in their own name and they have mortgages on them, 
it's made them higher rate or additional rate taxpayers because of the mortgage interest rate relief. So that's that's a significant problem for an awful lot of um, landlords. So that was a significant problem for me, which is why I decided to move my properties over into service combination. So my buy-to-lets, in fact, HMOs, I've, I've left the, the HMOs uh, alone, but my buy-to-lets, I've moved an awful lot of them over into service combination, and now I can still offset the mortgage interest um, on those properties. And as building the portfolio, so buying property for service combination, it depends, okay? So I bought in a limited company, I bought in an LLP, I bought in my own name, I bought in a, yeah, so all of the different structures. In fact, I'm just about to buy one in a partnership as well. So again, it depends whatever the best circumstance is for you, but I just wanted to clarify that. So capital allowances. So my favorite subject is capital allowances. And just to explain capital allowances, I'll give you the definition first. Um, it's an amount of money HMRC allows you to earn without paying tax. So they're released that can be set against taxable profits, reducing the amount of tax you pay. Not available. Capital allowances are not available on buy-to-let and HMO because they, they involve the Housing Act, which involves tenants. Uh, remember, your income from service accommodation is trading income. It involves guests, not tenants. And... Capital allowances are available on commercial property and serviced accommodation. So what? how does this work? How does capital allowances work? Well, you can claim a percentage of your purchase price on a property. It doesn't matter when you bought it. You know, you can be buying it now or you might have bought it years and years ago. You can claim a percentage of your purchase price and a percentage of the expenditure that you have spent on the property itself. And that equals your total expenditure, your purchase price and any refurb that you have done on it. Now, typically, it's about 35% of total expenditure um, that you get as a capital allowance. Now, the way the capital allowance is uh, created is a capital allowance surveyor will look at all of what's called the plant and machinery that is in a property that is ultimately being used for service combinations. What does plant and machinery mean? Well, that means the kitchens, the bathrooms, the boiler, the radiators, the windows, and all of that stuff is plant and machinery. Okay, I know it sounds a bit odd because it's a, it's a residential property, but effectively all of those things are now being uh, utilized for the business, which is service accommodation. And so the replacement cost of all of that plant and machinery creates the capital allowance. And that typically is about 35% of a property's value. It can be higher um, in sort of the, the cheaper areas. The, the capital allowance is going to be a higher percentage. And the more expensive areas, it's going to be a lower percentage. But either way, it's still a lot of money. So 35%, let's say the property's £200,000 property, that would be £70,000 of capital allowances. What does that mean? It means that you can earn £70,000 tax free from the service accommodation property. So an awful, lot of, an awful lot of landlords out there are currently selling their portfolios because of Section 24, whereas the solution is actually just to move them over into service accommodation where they, you can earn an awful lot more money than you previously were as a buy-to-let. And I'm not talking about fancy properties either. An awful lot of my... Uh, 
buy-to-lets that I've moved over into SA are just bog-standard inner-city terraced property. Um, so I'm earning an awful lot more money from those. And I'm offsetting my mortgage interest still. And I'm getting tens of thousands of pounds worth of tax-free income from them. So actually, so uh, Section 24, where, you know, every cloud has a silver lining. Well, that was definitely it. Or blessing in disguise. That was definitely it for me. That's why I now um, am the lead trainer for progressive property for serviced accommodation. So, um, yeah, absolutely. And the really cool thing about this Section 24 thing, so with these landlords and the capital allowances thing, with these landlords wanting to get rid of them because they are now motivated sellers, et cetera, et cetera, is if you do a particular version that I teach on my trainings, I'm actually doing a training uh, discovery day tomorrow at Progressive Property, but if you do a particular version of Rent to SA that I teach, the owners of the properties that you're renting them from can avoid Section 24 and claim capital allowances. So <laughs> if you if you think that, I mean, people that, I'm, that are doing Rent to SA now who I've taught, uh, they are cash flowing two, three, four, five, six thousand pounds on some instances per property. I mean, we've got the staycation boom going on right now, haven't we? The night rates have gone absolutely ballistic. So cash flowing, let's let's call it £4,000 on a, on a rent to SA. And the incentive for the landlords to give you the properties is they get to avoid Section 24 and claim capital allowances. I mean, who's liking that, by the way? So, you know, how many service accommodation properties do you want? That is the key. That is the message here. How many do you want? With the right education, you can have as many as you like. Um, so really, really important. So just to give you an example, because an awful lot of people, um, that yes, Rent to SA is fantastic for building up uh, recurring income, but people want to do building their portfolio and buying property as well. Well, guess what? You can do that too. You could save up your recurring income from your Rent to SAs and then start buying. So um, I've I've bought a property, £90,000 purchase price. Um, it needed an awful lot. In fact, it was two houses on one title. Needed quite a big refurb, um, had lots of damp and stuff. So £65,000 refurb budget. Um, purchase and, and refinance costs was £3,000. So my total in was 158000 But the property valued, or the two properties on one title, valued up at 235000 and so I refinanced it to go out a 70% uh, loan-to-value interest-only product, which gave me £164,500 back, which was cash back of £6,500. So buy, refurbish, rented out on a short-term rental. So it's still a buy, refurbish, rent, refinance, but short-term rental, not to tenants. Um, rented out to guests, if you like, with cash back. So a house for nothing. So the capital allowance is the initial tranche of capital allowances on this uh, property, 63,739. That was 39.1% of my expenditure. And then there's a thing called um, land remediation relief. Uh, so the property had Japanese knotweed. And to treat Japanese knotweed, um, you, the government or the HMRC will actually give you a a relief, 150% relief on the cost of treating Japanese knotweed and asbestos 
Okay, so you could be going and looking at properties that are riddled with Japanese knot. We've got lots of asbestos and do a buy, refurbish, rent, refinance into service accommodation and you get 150% relief on the cost of treating it. So the cost of treating this uh, Japanese knotweed, um, effectively, the relief that we got on that was about four and a half grand. All right. So we add that to the capital allowances. 68,415. I'm not sure if I've got the exact numbers there because I'm, read, I'm reading off some copy here and I can't actually read it that well, but no, not to worry. Um, 68,415 pounds was my new capital allowance, which is 42% of expenditure. That actually means that I get to earn 68,415 pounds tax free because of the capital allowances. And I'm offsetting my mortgage interest against the serviced accommodation income as well. And that to that deal cash flows me. I mean, this is that these numbers are actually pre-staycation um, boom. I should get a more updated one, but they fluctuate. But pre-staycation boom, £3,843 per month cash flow. Okay. And all that money tax-free as well. And I the, the capital allowances I now do on guest house B&B conversion into a part hotel. So uh, the last one I did, purchase price 410000 capital allowances 239000 So that's a total tax saving for a 40% taxpayer of one hundred and twelve grand. So don't just think about capital allowances on service accommodation, bog standard service accommodation properties. Start thinking the bigger picture as well in terms of turning guest house B&Bs into apart hotels. So commonly, common asked questions on capital allowances. What if the capital allowances have already been claimed? 99% of, of capital allowances have not been claimed because people are not getting properly educated on these things. And if unless a property was previously service accommodation, that it couldn't have been claimed. So don't worry about it. But even if you're buying a service accommodation property, if you mention capital allowances to them and they don't know what you're talking about and they won't, they'll probably think you're talking about capital expenditure or capital gains or something. Unless they know what you're talking about with capital allowances, they're not going to have claimed them. Um, what if the capital allowances uh, are not used in year one? They roll over. So that's a commonly asked question. They roll over until you've used them up. Who can claim the capital allowances? The owning entity claims the capital allowances. So if you own properties in your own name, then you you claim the capital allowances. If the property is owned in a limited company, the limited company claims the capital allowance and effectively offsets those capital allowances against the corporation tax. So that's who can claim. Does it matter when it was bought? No, it doesn't matter when the property was bought. Um, can capital allowances be claim, uh, clawback, be subject to clawback? No, as long as they've been claimed correctly by a qualified capital allowances surveyor with their own professional indemnity insurance. Okay, so that's Hopefully, that was useful for people. My opinion on how you should be operating and owning serviced accommodation properties, and do not let the tail wag the dog. Um, Section 24 does not affect serviced accommodation. So how you own them and operate them, you should take advice from an accountant on that, but a qualified accountant. And I just wanted to share with you the power of combining Section 24 and capital allowances aid for your own portfolio of service combination property, but also to create a win-win situation for landlords or owners of property for to incentivize them 
to give you their properties to use as serviced accommodation. So any comments, type those into the uh, chat box. Those people listening into the podcast, you can uh, maybe go onto my website, Property Soldier, and um, communicate with me there as well. I'm going to finish as I always do and say here's to your success in service accommodation and from the property soldier to you, remember, your future needs you. Take care, everybody. Speak to you soon. Thank you for listening to the Service Accommodation Property Podcast. You can also follow me on social media and YouTube by searching The Property Soldier. Also check out my website, www.propertysoldier.co.uk, where you can learn even more about property investing and serviced accommodation.